0: Welcome back to the HR Happy Hour Show. My name's Steve Bose. So great to be with you. I am joined by, of course, Trish
1: McFarland. Trish,
0: what is happening?
1: You know, not much here, Steve. How are you?
0: All right. I was hoping something exciting <laughs> and and fantastic That's, would be happening. Because no. because I have That's to say, not not much happening here <laughs> either. I've got two quick things I do want to mention. <laughs> Uh, Of course, before we welcome our guest to the show, uh, returning guest, which I'm excited about too. Um, First of all, Trish, I have relocated, as some listeners might have heard, I've talked about it a little bit on the show, to to warmer climates. And I woke up today in in the sunny, warm South to about 22 degrees Fahrenheit, (laughs) which was not awesome and was not cool and not fun at all. I mean, I'm I'm bundled up here and and I don't like that. So that's, that's my little, I'm just going to be a little grouchy complainer right now.
1: Wow. You know, it's funny because I recall two shows ago or maybe three shows ago, you said there were going to be no more weather updates in here. you know. Awful. Now I have to tell you, see, now I'm thinking it's a great day. Um, It is, uh, I'm going to go ahead and say it because we'll post this really quickly. It's Martin Luther King day, right? We get to do our podcast, which is always a great thing. And it is, I'm looking now, it is 21 degrees here in Waterloo, Illinois. Sunny, there's no problem with 21. It feels great. I mean, yeah. let's talk about cold. last week, the last show we recorded in Seattle. Yeah. Talk about cold. Yeah. Oh, my week- goodness. I think the wind coming off the water. So I'll take 21 here all day long. There's no water that it's, you know, blowing in off. Of, so we're good.
0: That is true. No, no, no. It is sunny here as well. And it probably is per- perked up to maybe something in the 30s, but still a little cold. I will say one other thing. Just you mentioned when we try sometimes not to say when we're recording. Sometimes these shows do take a while to post. This one will post really quickly, maybe as quickly as tomorrow. Do you know what else today is besides MLK Day, Trish? The other sort of uh, name attributed to this particular day in January, which happens to be the third Monday of January. Have you have you have you have you a clue no, what I'm talking about?
1: No, yeah, I'm not sure. Unless it's like a Pantone day, but we already had that. So. No,
0: it, it, today is known in some circles as Blue Monday. Have you heard that term ever before, Trish? No.
1: What does Blue Monday
0: stand for? It stands for sadly the most depressing day of the year. The nader <laughs> of feeling awful and depressed and horrible about things. And it's a combination and it's, it's a very unscientific thing in in folks who are real scientists say that there's no such thing, but the idea is it's, it's well enough post holidays, right? So all the holidays are out of your system. We've already talked about the weather, but the weather in many places, at least in the uh, uh, Western hemisphere is cold and miserable and crappy and getting worse um, the, the holiday, if, if you were once to sort of overindulge, perhaps, uh, maybe the holiday bills are rolling in credit cards, et cetera, et cetera. You're deep into work, you know, a lot of people maybe have today off, but largely there's not a lot of holidays to look forward to, et cetera, et cetera. So today, if, if you're not feeling great t- today or yesterday, perhaps when you, when you hear this, um, that's maybe the reason, and maybe that's why I got up feeling really grumpy today too, Trish. Maybe it was blue Monday.
1: You know what though? We have a solution because honestly, and I mean this from the bottom of my heart, our guest today is someone who literally any time I speak with him, um, whether it's on the show, in person, on a phone call, I literally walk away happier. So I feel like he's the perfect guest for Blue Monday.
0: All right. Well, let's get him on the show. Look, quickly before we welcome him.
1: Um... <laughs> before we bring anybody else down. <laughs> yeah, no, I
0: just uh I well, I just wanna feel like there was some justification for why I, I was not feeling super excited today. But uh we're booking shows out for Q the rest of Q one into Q2. Tweet us at HR Happy Hour or contact us through our new and improved website, HRhappyHour.net. And don't forget to continue to add uh listen and uh, add to the Alexa show to your daily flash briefing. I did one this morning, Trish, as a matter of fact. So hope you guys get a chance okay. to check that out. All right, our guest today is Ben Brooks. Ben is the founder and CEO of Pilot Coaching Software. He invested his life savings into the company's mission to have people feel powerful at work. Ben has a successful business and executive coaching practice and is a former award-winning SVP of HR at and McLennan Companies. And Ben was recently named one of HR Executive Magazine's Top 100 HR Tech Influencers of 2019. Welcome back to the HR Happy Hour Show. Ben Brooks, Ben. Perk us Ooh, up. Help us crowd out. The goes
2: wild. Here. Woo! Mittens <laughs> come off. You know?
0: there, there you go. There you go. Ben, good to talk to you. Welcome back to the show. Um, maybe before we dive into some of the stuff we want to talk about on employee development and, and, and training and coaching, maybe give us a 90 seconds kind of update on, on you and especially maybe more interestingly, uh, what's been happening with Pilot because it's a pretty exciting kind of story so far.
2: Absolutely. Well, I'm, I'm committed to make this Green Monday for you. <laughs> you know, green is my favorite color, It's the most diverse color. Fun fact about green, the human eye can see more shades of green than any other color. That's why they use it in night vision and the military and things. Really? Um, and it's the color of life, the color of growth, money, diversity, thriving. You know, you got green status on things. So, you know, and Steve, what you said about blue money is exactly true. I, from, I know from a lot of coaches that, you know, this is you get the hangover from the holidays and habits take usually about three to four weeks to form so
0: resolutions people are already kind of i off forgot that one ben now. glad glad yep. for mentioning that that was one of the other reasons blue monday they pick it that this is about the time you give up on your new year's resolution too that's right totally
2: you have a long three-day weekend it's a bender with food and alcohol you're not <laughs> out of the gym anymore you know you feel bad about yourself you know 2020 was going to be your year and now it's sort of a write-off to 2021 you know so so it's it's uh but you know i will tell you that you know um i am very fired up today and in manhattan it is is quite chilly today too but uh But yeah, no. With your question, Steve, about pilot, you know, we've we're off to a great start this year. I just got, I took a two week vacation over the holidays. I went to to Indonesia and the Philippines, and got far, far away, and was in warm climates. And uh, and uh, we're back at it, and we had, you know, great time at the the uh, HR Technology Conference last fall, and we uh, were were shocked to win the Pitch Fest. Uh, which That's was true. a wonderful shot in the arm and a lot of great uh, attention and accolades and, and some very impressive companies are part of PitchFest, fest. And uh, we're excited to have a, a breakthrough year. I just was finishing some of my goals for the year. And, and I, you know, I, I kind of start with a combination of like a bigger level. How do I want to feel right? There's like real tactical things, you know, like go on this, you know, read this many books or something like that or lose this weight. But I really, you know, I want to feel the sense of ease is a big thing for me, you know, which is hard as a business owner to feel ease uh, being bold, you know, and and kind of you know having the confidence that I have for my clients, for myself, and my company, and then there's a thing about just enjoying life and being really healthy. Those are kind of the big four uh, for me. So I spent kind of yesterday evening just continuing to map out the year that I want to have. So this, this is a this is a green Monday for me at least, and I hope it is for anyone else that's listening.
1: I nice. love that. You know what, Ben? It's it's true for anyone if if they're not following you, they should follow you on on Twitter and Facebook, Instagram, all the places. But Um, one thing I love is, is when you're sort of sharing with, you know, the people who are your connections, it is sort of around that mode of being in planning, even as the year was winding down, right? You were Mm -hmm. tying up loose ends. That was kind of the theme. So one thing, and and I know we want to obviously get into what, what you're doing there at Pilot, but I guess just one question for you before we do that, which is, you know, you've always struck me as someone who seems very organized. Whether you were working for someone else or now that you're you know, running your own company, what, what motivates you or what motivated you to become that kind of a, um, an employee, a business owner? Because I think that that's something, too, we don't all necessarily have. How, how do you find that inspiration to sort of be that planner and really dive into it wholeheartedly?
2: I've always found that you know uh, my mind is a little like a bento box, you know, or a tackle box. It's pretty organized, (laughs) and where I kind of put different information and things. And I thought that everyone was like that, and I realize now that's not the case. And so part of what I do, even with coaching, is really kind of start with a top down thinking. You know, within pilot, we talk about levels of thinking, kind of being in the jet, in the helicopter, or on the horse. And you know, I think a big part of purpose and meaning, a lot of stuff that we're talking about, you know, with, with work and and culture and things really comes kind of from, from this higher level thinking that in the day to day, you know, struggling through your inbox and keeping up with your text messages and running between meetings, we can often sort of forget. Um, and so for me, I think it's it's always been this, this strength of mine is to be able to look at a lot of information or a lot of data and sort of synthesize it and organize it, uh, including the stuff that I should not be spending time on or working on. Now, mind you, I have a coach too, and, and I see a therapist every week and do I have other sources to help me with that. Um, even like five years ago, I hired a, a CPO, which is not a chief people officer, but that's a certified professional organizer. And this woman came to my house and we went through like every drawer, like literally every drawer and, you know, organized things and organized things digitally and created new routines and how I use my assistant and my teams and things. And, you know, it just helps me focus and, and use more of my time on the things I'm good at and have other people run with things that I'm not.
1: That's great. Thank you. You know, the takeaway, I think for me, just in sort of summarizing all of that is you invest in you. You yep. invest time, money, effort in how you manage yourself. And I think that's interesting because really that really ties into what you're doing then um, as a business owner and as you know, a, a provider for people. It's to help them invest in themselves. So. I don't know, Steve. Do you want to maybe kick us off with uh, sort of diving in on what Ben's up to? And yeah,
0: thank you. I do. I I think it's super fascinating. I think the, in lar- writ large, I think the the topic of of development and reskilling and upskilling. We talked about this already once on maybe on the New Year's show, Trish, but this is one we're going to be focusing on a ton this year um, at on the Happy Hour at H three and some of the other things we're doing too. And 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 Ben, since you guys at Pilot are heavily invested in right creating um, these uh, this platform and these opportunities for for development and for coaching, you've learned a lot about it too. Obviously, mm-hmm. right about what's mm-hmm. important, what what people value, what they don't, where people are kind of missing the mark, and uh, you know I'll, I'll sort of mention this, and then maybe you can comment on it, and we'll go from there. Is one of the things you guys have found, you've teased out, is that. in in terms of development, that high performers or really excellent employees often are the least likely to uh, go after development opportunities and and look for coaching. They, They, you know, they're good, they're good at their jobs, they're probably comfortable, probably really busy, right? Organizations tend to uh, load up their high performers, yep. right? Often with a lot of work. And it reminds me of the old kind of one of the complaints about wellness programs, right? When wellness programs started to take hold in organizations was that the people who were most healthy and most fit and, and least unwell, right, were the most likely to consume those programs, right? So totally. I'd love for you to comment a little bit about about that sort of, um, that curious kind of dichotomy between higher performers and say to average, even, even lower performers who actually need the help and, and how that's how that's manifesting in organizations.
2: Well, yeah I think I mean you talked about kind of what we're learning, and I think that ultimately for our company, we look as the most important metric for our entire company is our rate of learning mm-hmm. and so oh. you know and, and that's through experimentation, it's all the good things about a startup right and and you know t- testing and and experimenting and all of that um but it's something a topic that you talk a lot about, Steve, which is curiosity right yeah. And that that learning you know requires us to kind of to look out and to to consider and to push further. We had a whole meeting this morning just about all the things that we could do to, to push something further on accountability with people. And to your point about high performers, you know, anyone that's ever, you know, for a learning management system, you know, bought content or sold the content, sort of knows that what a small uptake there is in that in the first place. And then when you start to, you know, do a attributed sort of analysis about who's looking at it, it's often the bottom 25% of employees. Cause frankly, mm-hmm. they they have the time, you know. Um, you know, high performers get rewarded with more work. They're on more committees and task forces. They go on more sales calls. They review other people's work. They train others. They onboard, they recruit all these things. And so, you know, if you think of the kind of traditional nine box, you know, talent, you know, review uh, chart, you know, that performance axis, we just keep, it's almost like a car. You just never turn off. You just keep driving it. Right. And you're right. fueling it as it's rolling down the street. Right. You're pouring gas in it and you, you keep going, you put more weight in it. But on the performance, we're never really upgrading that car right? We're never making it more efficient or more capable or, or you know, a, you know, preventative sort of maintenance and, and whatnot. And so that's where high performers can burn out, right? You talk about wellness and well-being, you know, that they just, they just are that car that never goes off and eventually it breaks down on the side of the road, you know, uh, mm-hmm. or they have an incident at work or they turn to, you know, other ways of, you know, kind of blowing off steam and things that are not always that effective, you know? And so, we really are trying to interrupt a high performer, which may be a working parent, right? Maybe someone that's traveling a lot or that's customer facing and really saying, hey, like as much as you're taking care of everyone else in the world, to Trisha's point, you got to invest in yourself. You got to, you, you have to prioritize you because in your career, Reed Hoffman, you know, from LinkedIn, co-founder and PayPal Mafia wrote The Startup of You. And he talks about, you know, really thinking of yourself as the asset. You kind of lease yourself to companies for a period of time, you know? And that, you know, you have to invest in that asset so it's more valuable over time and coaching and the weekly be, you know, habit forming and behavior change that Pilot helps instill is one way to do that. And I think that's where we're going to see a lot of HR go is how do we enable employees to kind of invest in and, and take care of themselves more, which right now for high performers is, is often not happening.
0: Ben, you said a couple things there that really piqued my my curiosity. Oddly mm-hmm. enough, curiosity is one of them, and yeah. I wrote them down. And the prioritization of you and two. I mentioned Trish, I did an Alexa show this morning, and I, I've written something for our site too around around some of the things we were doing or I was doing, but we had talked about as a group, right, with uh, taking some master classes, right. And that's what I wrote about. And the interesting thing was uh, just too, just interesting to me anyway. Was I, I did a couple of them in the last few weeks, one from uh, Bob Iger who runs Disney, and mm-hmm. The other one was Howard Schultz, who formerly founded Star Starbucks, formerly ran it. I think he might still be the chairman. I'm not sure. But um, in one of, a- in both of those guys, in different uh, element, different a- aspects of their their training, uh, their advice kind of uh, videos, talked about curiosity, like a- as almost the top thing that they find. Um, valuable, important, interesting, and, and that they look for when they hire people. So I'm just throwing it out there because I, I thought it was super interesting. And uh, I was also thinking about that too uh, over the weekend.
2: And, and it's interesting on um, curiosity is when we think about curiosity of like, oh, what, what are tech companies doing uh, in recruiting? We can be very sort of you know, curious you know, as if we're watching a TED Talk. But the problem is when we're curious about ourselves, it often manifests in judgment right? Mm-hmm. We get really harsh with ourselves. There's shoulds, and there's shames, and there's avoidance, and there's a lot of emotion. And part of, you know, coaching processes and, and really getting, you know, developing high performers is having people be curious about themselves. You know, why is it that you get so overwhelmed? Or why is it that you kind of careen between meeting and meeting and you're not that prepared? Or why is it that you're, you, you kind of cower and you don't really advocate for yourself or or speak up or you're afraid to be told no? And that's the curiosity that can perform, you can, can create, you know, kind of breakthrough performance because you oftentimes are, again, sort of touching a nerve or a thing that can be well-laden in you or even a thing that created great success for a period of time, but sort of what got you here won't get you there. You right. need to sort of unpack. And that's curiosity about yourself is equally important as curiosity about the world.
1: Ben, when you're talking about the curiosity about yourself, I mean, I wonder too, is is there an element of, I guess, deep down, maybe we're not really willing to admit we do know what many of our weaknesses are, or we know what, you know, what our we obviously know our whole background, right? And no one else does. So maybe is there an element of sort of like, if I'm admitting I need training on XYZ or whatever, am I letting people in to see kind of the chink in the armor would be one Mm -hmm. question. And the other part is, do you think it's that we think we can't change? Like maybe what? it's a waste of time. Is, is it a waste of time training me as an executive or a leader or whatever? If I feel flawed, like I can't change.
2: Well, I think it, they're they're very, you know, linked points, you know, Bernie Brown, you know, who's become extremely popular with the, uh, her, you know, stuff around leadership and vulnerability, you know, is mm-hmm. this thing that the chink in the armor is to say, Hey, like, this is something I need to work on or that I want to be better in is not the typical sort of, in particular, if we think of some sort of like, you know, alpha or real male laden, you know, archetype of, of success, you know, um, we don't always think of, hey, you know, I'm, I'm not very organized, or here's, I'm, I'm not good with data analysis, or, you know, I'm, I'm a bit impatient, or, you know, my, my EQ is low, like, we don't think of showing that, yet that Bernays research says that actually brings us closer to others, you know, so, you know, part of being a professional is we all have this sort of like looking good thing, right? We buy in suits and dresses and, you know, we want to be very professional and this and that. And so, you know, we have our LinkedIn look really polished and our social media and we have these profound thoughts. And this is big game of looking good, sort of, sort of, you know, in its deep psychological things here. But in terms of growing and developing and learning and being curious about yourself, you have to be willing to not always look good. So I think that that's a part of the first part of your question, you know, is being willing to talk openly about the things that you're not good at and want to be good at, you know. Difference from just your weaknesses, but really, truly, your development objectives—right, things you're committed to work on. The second part, I think, you know, some people it's a lack of, of uh, confidence in themselves to be able to kind of change or work on something. But it also can be sort of an overwhelm. Some people if they don't have a direct line of sight to know how to do something; they won't go on the journey. Right? They say, "I have to know exactly the formula to do it." And in a reality, a lot of growth and learning is is really around commitment. Which the definition of commitment is not knowing how you're going to do something, just knowing you're going to do it. Right, and so you know, to have the level of commitment to say, "Hey, I'm not sure how I'm going to figure out my temper, right?" Uh, And the fact that I get, you know, I get real hot real quickly uh, in in arguments or conversations at work. But I'm but I'm willing to be curious enough to understand where that comes from and to work through that. Because as people advance in their careers, the things that hold them back are not technical skills, and the technical skills change. Technology changes, and business stuff changes, and things. It's all the interpersonal things. You know, Harvard Business School did a study. 85% of all business problems are people problems. People in HR are like, heck yes, that's totally it, right? But mm-hmm. like how, but we don't really focus on that. We think it's, you know, got to be the thing, oh, you know, I, I used to know Java. Now I need to learn Python, or I, I used to know, you know, uh, compensation. Now I have to do, you know, workforce analytics, you know, but oftentimes it's really manipulating ourselves to be more effective, better versions of ourselves which is really the X factor that advances people's careers and their impact.
0: Ben, there's uh, I want to do a quick reset first. Uh, this is the HR happy hour show. My name is Steve Bowes, Trish McFarland, of course, with me, we are joined by Ben Brooks from pilot coaching software. And we're talking about development and motivation and, and, and some really interesting things. And the one thing you said, Ben, in your answer, and then I want to ask you another question about, about sort of development and learning in the workplace. But, uh, You talked about like that, put almost that facade, that looking good kind of thing. We Mm -hmm. uh, try to put on our best self, et cetera. And, um, uh, you know, just, uh, you know, you're hitting on things that I guess maybe I'm interested in them too, Ben, or it's just maybe the timing is just um, coincidental. But just this morning, I was reading a piece in psychology today about a study that's coming out soon. And I'm probably going to have to get. Patrick, my son Patrick, who's at college to get access to this weird journal that it's running in that I, okay. I can't seem to access. But, uh, <laughs> but it's basically this, I, I'll, I'll summarize it real quick. The idea that if you're one of those people who are doing, we've all heard this term, like fake it till you make it right in the workplace. Mm-hmm. And they basically are, are, are theorizing and really trying almost proving that that the longer you do that at work, the worse off you're going to be emotionally and professionally in the long run that the fake it till you make it thing will, will only get you so far and, and maybe not nearly as far as you think. And really, truly knowing yourself and sort of opening up and being, I guess, for lack of a better word, really authentic in the long term, not only helps you personally in, in sort of how you feel about yourself, but it also actually helps you professionally. You advance further in the company, you get better projects, you get better promotions, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, when I get, after I read the study, maybe we'll, maybe we can do a show about it, Trish, or I'll, I'll do something on the Alexa show about it. But it's funny that I was just reading about that this morning. Yeah. And I'll just
2: add to that, you know, that the, you know, oftentimes there's, you know, I even had a new employee, she was pretty resistant to asking for help, right. Or speaking up to say, I don't, I don't understand this. I don't know this, but then would go off and do things that then I'd say, Hey, that's not how we wanted it. Or if this needs to be changed and she'd be discouraged and sort of mm-hmm. this negative, you know, referential sort of loop that we were in. And I finally had to say, Look, I think people that ask questions are smarter. And then it was like, oh, well that wait, I don't look dumb, I look smart to ask a question. I'm like absolutely, yeah. right? And and I had to sort of change the game, right? Where that wasn't a strike, right? That was, you know, you know, you got on base, right? By by asking a question. And so I think to your point that you know there's certainly a certain amount of, of confidence and bravado you want to have, you know, when you do something new to, to not be too, you know, timid or to cower. But you know, we all see, look, you, you see the post that's on Facebook or someone's blog post or Twitter where, where they open up about something, right? That they've been struggling or they overcame this thing or they had this, you know, moment. And it's that's the post that like gets a ton of comments and likes and thank you for sharing this or I feel this. And if people see themselves, that they connect. And so you know, opening up and includes, by the way, feedback, employees bitch a whole lot about not having enough feedback, but they don't necessarily have the courage to ask for it, right? The best feedback you get is the feedback that you solicit outside of a process, outside of a broken performance management system, right? It's the feedback that you say to a colleague, hey, how did that meeting go? What was great about that? And what could I do better next time to up my game? And again, Mm -hmm. that takes vulnerability, and that's not faking it. That's saying, hey, I probably didn't do that at a world class level, you know, um, and it creates the permission for that. And again, you know, if you're if you're always sort of this sort of imposter, it's, you know, it's like even like in our consumer society, right, you know, everyone's got dead up to their eyeballs, right, but pretending like they have it all held together and most of America's paycheck to paycheck and things. And, you know, and part of that is, again, starting to open up and be real about it, or it's people that are have, have addictions or. Health issues or whatever, people are in denial. And when you start to open up, other people can support you and encourage you and help you and give you consideration and empathy. But if it's a secret, nobody knows, right? And and people quit companies over reasons that they never speak up about. High performers, this happens all the time. And that's you know you find out in exit interviews. Holy shit, this is why you quit. <laughs> you know, th- you know. I wish you would have said something. Right. I wish yeah. I wish you would have spoken up. It wish you to, you know, oh, you had a lifestyle thing and a or a commute issue or whatever. And so that's where we're really trying to instill with pilot members the sense of self-advocacy, which includes saying, hey, I don't understand this or this is new or I need some help.
1: I was gonna say I'm making notes like crazy. It's funny. I had just literally written down that we don't reward vulnerability. And you started talking about <laughs> vulnerability. And I'm like, yes, that's it. So, um, just a couple of things. I I agree with you when you're talking about um, having those moments in the workplace, in your personal life, whatever. But in the context here, we're talking about work and development. Um, we used to have this really cool thing we did at every meeting when I worked at the children's hospital here in St. Louis, and we would end every meeting with even better if. And so mm. never felt that, that just sort of stuck with me then the rest of my career so far that you know, you're not really trying to to be overly critical. It's just, it, it's spinning it in a more positive way. It's like, okay, the next meeting would have been even better if this or the, you know, whatever project we're talking about would be even better if we did that. And you start giving people permission to be really vulnerable about improving um, and they don't feel attacked. Mm-hmm. So, um, I mean, exactly. Sorry,
2: It's it's a it's almost like a diet. Like I'm on the I I, on the keto diet and I lost some weight. I'm on keto, but really the diet that I've been on for years as a professional is the feedback diet, right? Which is just, Mm -hmm. you know, just just devouring feedback and not taking it super personally, being curious about it, not having it be that I'm wrong or bad or there's shame or that I'm not gonna succeed. But to say, you know, just like you said, it's it'd be even better if I did these things, right? If I slowed down, if I introduced this person first, if someone else did the intro, like. All of that, just if you almost think of it like when your kids are in the pool and they're playing Marco Polo, right? You're getting closer to it each time with more feedback rather than it's like you're sucking or, or you're failing. It's like, oh no, you're just on an adventure or a journey to get closer to the prize.
1: Right. And feedback is an opinion. I try and mm-hmm. keep that in mind. It's, <laughs> one, it's one data point. And so sometimes, though, I think too, um, you know, if you're working for a boss who maybe seems really confident. They've got it all hold together, right? And, and behind the scenes, they probably don't, but they seem like they do. And if this is the person who's critiquing you or giving you constructive feedback or, or whatever, um, you might think like, well, wow, I have to do that. I have to take that in. And I just have always tried to remember in jobs, it's a choice. It's a choice to be there. It's a choice to be doing the work you're doing. Um, Now, you might not feel like it's choice because you might feel like, well, I don't really want to go find another job, right? Mm-hmm. Or I don't want to work for another boss, whatever. Again, that's a choice too, though. But I think if you if you sort of are open to feedback in the way that it's not hyper-personal, it is just one person's opinion, they could be right or wrong. Totally. Too. Just because they're your boss doesn't mean they're right about their opinion about you or your performance or whatever. It's just another point. It's, it's when you start seeing the patterns, I would imagine, especially, you know, at in working with pilot where you're, you're sort of looking at the person's overall patterns of behavior over time. And that then moves them closer to what, what they're hopefully trying to achieve or be, or be viewed as, or, or whatever the case is.
2: Well, yeah. And, in vulnerability is almost like a game of chicken, right? Someone's got a flinch and it, mm-hmm. and it reminds me a little bit about, you know, I'm, I'm gay and a, we have LGBT owned business, but it reminded me of early days when I had first come out to people like then, even if they weren't gay, they would share something personal about them, right? It created this sort of space, right? Where I was myself, and they could be more of themselves. And it created a closer connection. And oh, cool. within the pilot coaching program, we have this whole thing about winning with your manager, which is really treating your manager like a customer, and owning your supervision and leaning into their preferences and knowing who they are as a person. And we had a A high performing salesperson at CBS Interactive, which is one of our big customers. And she had, you know, she's got a family, but uh, her boss seems very old school to her. And, you know, and it's just like work, work, work. So she's like never spoken about her family at work. They're on a business trip and she's going through pilot. And so she started to ask him some questions per some of the prompts that we gave her. And she found out that this guy is like a, a nuts family guy. And as soon as, they connected about family. He's like, Oh my God, we have to change your schedule. We have to have you travel less. Tell me about your family. Like they're like closer than ever, but she had the total misread on him. Right. And she was faking it to be this sort of like company first person in a reality. He wants to help her be you know, more connected to her family and successful in her profession, but it required the vulnerability to kind of get there on both sides.
0: And that's a yeah. super example. And I'm sitting here, Trish, and you know, we've known each other a long time. But I'm, uh, imagine I'm sitting here saying, Oh, my God, I know, I don't do any of those things. Like, I'm the guy who's like, I've, I know, I don't know if I've ever said this on the show, Trish, I know, I've, I've, I've talked about this with you off the show where, like, I'm the guy who when I get on a conference call, a business call, I'm talking about with someone I don't know. And often, uh, a person might ask as a normal person might. So uh yeah, tell me, you know you get you know where do you where do you live uh do you have family? do you have kids or something like that a normal question, and I hate it. I hate when I get asked that question w- w- for someone I don't know because I don't want to answer it like and mm-hmm. I don't really want to ask them if they have mm-hmm. kids either, and it's not because i don't care well it's partially because i don't care, but it's it's partially because I know how uncomfortable I get when i'm asked that by strangers, so i I just automatically assume much like I think this employee at c b s did that everybody's like that right like Mm -hmm. like you i've made an assumption that everybody in the world thinks exactly the way i do right and so i i yeah i i i've so i've wrote down some notes too trish i'm gonna try to get better on some of this because i think it's important and i think it's it's a really good something to to really think about when
2: it creates connection right and and builds a relationship and you can have some influence instead of saying you know like it just defaults to you know kids or weather or this or whatever you know it could be you know, you know you're like hey what are you excited about right? right that's sort of a great leading thing that may not be tell me the demographics of your personal life and they may say hey i'm working on writing a book and like, oh my god me too you know and you have an agent yet and and all of a sudden it can you know really create what i call lines of affinity right where that and then when you get to something like negotiating a speaker's fee for a conference it's an easier conversation when you have this sort of background of relatedness that's not just about the deal or the task or the content, but that is actually sort of human connection. But not necessarily purporting that you're like best friends or going out drinking or buddy buddy, but that there's something that's bigger than the task at hand. And I think that's what people in the workplace are absolutely starved for. And that's why people love going to a happy hour and they love a baby shower at work and they love a you know a fantasy football thing. And, you know, and and companies sometimes resist that, or people want to sort of opt out, but, but, you know, humans, you know, people like to tribe, right? They like to be together. And I think, you know, leaders have a say under which things it doesn't have to be about alcohol, right? Which can be an easy and low common honor. It can be about something much more meaningful. But when people bring, again, their kind of full self to work around the things that, that, you know, you may not want to talk about your kids or where you live. You may not want to talk about something that you're just really learning about these, these uh, masterclasses you took. That may be what you want to bring. Awesome.
0: you know, it's super interesting, Ben, uh, because I did I did think I was thinking about that over the weekend. I wrote about it, as I said, and I'll just throw one last thing. Trish, I hate to make I'm making the show all about me and I apologize a little bit. But like a lot of these I are, like are resonating with me. Yeah. Did I, did I tell the story about my desk in that place I worked for a, a few years. The desk I never decorated in the office. I think I've told this story on the air or on the show. But um, you should you- Retell it? Okay. So I I, I had this job. I was running the HR technology for a mid-sized company, four or 5,000 employees. And I I was at the headquarters. It was one of the normal job, right? Go to the office, whatever. I had an office. um, And I'd been there a while. And most people who have offices, right? Real offices at at a workplace, they'll put up some sort of decor, some posters, maybe some family pictures, if that's what they're into, their favorite team poster, the schedule, anything, right? Just, and I... I just put up nothing. I had no decorations in my office, just nothing. I might have like a desk calendar maybe just to tell me what day it was, but that was it. And, and when, and, and after a while people at this place started to notice it and ask about it, Hey, you know, you never decorated your office. And I still, and I just never did it. I just didn't care about it. I, I don't know. Like even right now the office, the home office, I'm in now there's almost nothing up on the walls or anything. And, and so long story short, after about a year, maybe of being there, I, I think I wasn't on a business trip or something or just was out of the office for a couple of days. When I came back to the office after being out for a couple of days, the folks in the, in, in the group, this is an HR department that I worked in, they decorated my office for me. Like, sort of <laughs> in, an, in, a, but in a bit of a joking way, but yeah, still yeah, for yeah. real. They put stuff all over the walls, they, you know, wrapping paper at the desk, everything. And they, in, in many of them, even including my boss at the time, who was the CHRO, took a picture of herself in a frame and put that on my desk, right? <laughs> like it was a big joke, uh, you know? And so, and then I kind of like try to play along with the joke by, I just left everything there. I didn't say anything. I didn't touch anything. And I left it there. Like I said, I'm going to, I'm going to defeat these people, right? I'm just, I'm going to leave it. I don't care. It's fine. It, you know, my, I'm trying to like make the point that I don't really care what, what's there at all. But the reason I bring it up though, was the very same thing. Like They they were, they were people trying to reach out to me, I think, to try to get to know me a little bit. And I certainly, I was off. I was even worse back then. Probably. I was doing nothing really to get to know any of them other than just our very, very transactional work relationships that we had. And, you know, I learned something from it, I guess, but, uh, but I do think it's true. Like they, they were uncomfortable almost being around me, right. Because I was so uncomfortable being around them in, in a weird way. So.
2: Well, yeah. And, and, you know, I think so much of what we do as professionals consciously and subconsciously speaks right because they could think oh well he's not going to be around long or he's yeah he doesn't want to build you know about, like you know right? you, it's you're, you're you're a temporary consultant or or whatever you know or, or that you're secretive right that can be a thing and that comes with certain things that's like lgbt if people are not out sometimes they are viewed as sort of secretive or not team players they don't bring anyone to the holiday party and stuff like that mm-hmm. and all of a sudden there's sort of distrust in the relationship, you know, and all these sort of social cues. And, and ultimately people are, you're curious about other people. They're curious about their colleagues, right? They, they want it. They want to know a little bit more. And those are things Steve, I relate because in, in previous corporate jobs, I'm sort of very like down in the business, you know, let's just like get into the meeting and get the shit done and move on. And and I think that, you know, I started to, you know, realize that people wanted to, to know more. And I started put, bringing a lot of toys into the office, like magic wands and slinkies and, balls, and, and all of a sudden, people like mm-hmm. would want to come in because it was a space to be creative and to play and to, to de stress and things. And, um, you know, and just even, even I love airplanes. I brought in a couple of airplanes, and all of a sudden, I'd find all the airplane geeks out there would come in my office. We'd, we'd talk planes, and I had no idea that, you know, that Frank in the controller office, you know, liked planes. Yeah. You know? wow.
1: All right. I think in an office, it's so important because it really does. We, we talk a lot in other venues about. Inclusion and belonging, and that's you know, there are many ways for that to play out in the workplace, but in this example, it's like you really do want to be included in something, and finding commonalities is how we do it, that's the only way we have to do it. So, if you're feeling closed off or you're being closed off, it does make it hard to relate. I, I have to tell you, Steve, it's interesting you, you brought number one, it's interesting that you brought up yourself in, in the first place, but secondly. You know, when you started in the last few months sharing even where you live, that's a huge, huge thing. And so listeners could have been listening for the last 10 years and might might not have known kind of where you live. You know what I mean? And you are. Very, <laughs> well, uh,
0: they knew it was snowing it was all the time. I did talk about that.
1: <laughs> well, and yeah, to your point, just very cautious it's about sharing. So, yeah.
2: When your point, Trish, I mean, with Steve, like I've like, known you for, a, you know, almost 10 years now. Right. And I've always sort of you know, thought of you in this sort of like, I highly respect you, you know, um, but I, it's always a kind of a handshake level, you know, and, yeah. and, you know, and, and, you know, Trish, I've known you kind of equal amount of time and I felt, you know, and maybe it's a gender part of it as well too, but, you know, but I, I feel very comfortable with, with men and women both, but, you know, just more, you know, a, a closerness, because I think Trish, you share more, I, I know more about you and there's probably a lot of things I'd like to know about Steve. And I think to, to your point about inclusion, This is actually even built in the pilot product is this idea of managing your own inclusion. I think we think of a lot about inclusion as like, you know, shepherd, you know, with the shepherd hook, bringing the sheep in kind of thing, which is a good model. But also, you know, we have people help kind of share and define for themselves, right, what they want their colleagues to know about the the formative experiences. Look, if if you grew up as a military brat, there's a certain way that you may be, right?
0: Yeah, I I was going to ask, I know we've been going for a while, but this is super interesting. And I know we said at the top, we'll kind of start talking about it, and we're going to go wherever we go. And this is one of those shows that's just gone in a lot of different directions, but I think it's all been great. So rather than kind of dive into some very specifics about delivering coaching in the moment and kind of transactions versus kind of immersive experiences, et cetera, et cetera, which is all super interesting. And I'm going to encourage folks to go out to the uh, pilot.coach website to learn more about that. But I'll throw one more thing since we're kind of all sharing and being a little bit, uh, you know, just talking about our own experiences and some of the experiences we've had. I do think it's important also too, though, to think about the differences in what people are open and, and willing to talk about. As you said, we've all known each other about the same amount of time right and and you'd say, "Well, I know more about Trish than you know about me, and I probably say the same thing but but also I think it's it's important to know that like for for not everybody is comfortable at, at that same level right yes. like I said like when 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 I get the question about oh so where do you live? are you married or where do you?" Have- do you have kids? Like I'm immediately turned off, right? And I'm mm. immediately like I'm shutting down, stranger. Like how dare you ask me that? And so I do think it's um, uh, it's it's interesting to know in the workplace, especially maybe even a managerial kind of uh, a team member relationship as well, to understand that everybody's going to feel a different level of comfort and want to be approached in a different way, as you said. And I I know you said that Ben, but I don't, I want to say it again too because I feel like um, I feel often folks like me who are a little more reserved, uh, less likely to share, right, can kind of get looked at as maybe not friendly or not, yep. Um, yep. you know, not not collaborative, et cetera, et cetera. So that's not really a question. It's more of a comment, but I'd love your thoughts on it too.
2: Absolutely. No, and I, that's where, again, you have your own preferences, right? And they manifest in your your professional relationships and connections, but then you can have people have maybe, um, you know, a different, you know, uh, idea or concept of you that you didn't intend. And it's it kind of reminds me of um, one of my favorite questions to ask in interviews is I ask people, "What's you know people's um, you know biggest misperception of you?" And then I ask them the follow up question, which is the kind of gotcha, which is, uh, "What's the difference between the perception and the misperception?" And there mm-hmm. there is not one, right? They're just all a perception, right? Uh, there's no such thing as a misperception, really, right? It's just their perception of you. And so, you know, you have to, you know, you, me, Trish, everybody, we have to kind of figure out again, you know, what we want the world to know about us and, you, and we get to regulate, you know, if there are parts about us that are, are deeply private or we're not ready to share or, or, or don't think are relevant to work, like that's something that we, you know, dial down, but there, but I think it's important for all of us to consider, you know, people want to connect beyond the content or the task at hand. And so what can we offer up? to share, which could be humor or could be your favorite sports team right. or it could be something else that is up to you. And, and, there's obviously curiosity for you, Steve, to be like, well, why does this bug me so much that people ask about where I live <laughs> and my, my, my kids, you know, that's, that's a, that's a separate, you know, offline podcast, but, but, um, you know, or we'll do, we'll do a create the Pope little booth and you can go to confession. Right. But, yeah. um, but, but, you yeah. know, but it's, but it's to figure out what are the things that you, you know, like I travel, that's a, that's a, that's a, that's a, topic that a lot of people like to talk about. I travel all over the world and that's a thing. And there may be things that I don't bring up about, you know, maybe personal relationships or a health challenge I'm having or something else that are much more private for me, whereas other people feel more comfortable. And I think it's all about each person regulating for themselves But knowing that, you know, back to kind of that like looking good and faking it till you make it, Mm -hmm. that often means like, um, you know, sort of uh, whitewashing ourselves of any sort of humanity. And I think the professionalism of like the 80s and 90s was this very stiff, plastic, you know, perfect looking thing that is sort of the opposite of why we like, you know, interesting people and celebrities and influencers and things that show more of their whole self, including a bad day, a challenge, a struggle, a failure, et cetera.
1: You know, Ben, as you were kind of talking a few minutes ago about, you know, sort of owning your own inclusion and can you remind me again what you what you call that within pilot?
2: Yes, we call it including yourself and in, 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 including, in this, and you actually write an owner's manual for yourself and explain yourself to others in terms of how you like to work and how you see the world.
1: So I, I love that idea. I've never thought of anything like that. So I think that's highly unique. Um, I can absolutely, just based on our conversation today, see how that would really be helpful for people who work together, you know, and understand how you want to be communicated with what you're comfortable with sharing, et cetera. Um, I'm curious, just because you do work with a, leaders now from, you know, a, a wide array of ages or phases of their career or phases of life, Right. Um, And not to make it a generational thing, but maybe more phases of life or phases of career. But do you notice or are you starting to see a difference in the way that people embrace creating their own uh, owner's manual for inclusion? And I'm asking because I think for maybe someone Steve's age, my age, whatever, when we started our careers um, and we're a little bit older than you, it, it was highly frowned upon to share anything personal, quite honestly. Mm-hmm. And now, you know, it's kind of like, it's, it's whatever you're comfortable with, which is great. Um, I will tell you like one thing that really sticks out in my mind was I sort of feel like um, when social media started and the companies I were working with were very conservative and it was like, well, if you post anything, if you post a picture of you holding a beer, you know, you could lose your job. You could not get hired <laughs> somewhere. And I kind of, I've, maybe a little bit rebellious, but I'm like, I'm sorry, I'm an actual adult. And if I have a beer, that's okay. And if I want to post a picture of the beer in my hand, I I really wouldn't want to work with anywhere where I can't be my real self. Same way with like, when you travel, you sometimes post photos of you traveling, right? Mm -hmm. Sometimes you're in swimwear and Mm -hmm. that really inspired me. Like, okay, here is Ben. I really look up to you, respect you as a business person as a human and you're comfortable in your own skin doing that. And I thought, why can't I do that? Because I'm a business executive because I work with clients and I thought, no, I'm not going to post like I'm a bikini model, but if I happen to be on vacation and I happen to be in a swimsuit, I post it Mm -hmm. because I feel like it's just me. I would rather people see real Trish and feel like, Oh, Trish does have a drink every now and then if she feels like it, or she does like to travel or she does swim, she does swim, you know, Mm -hmm. maybe, maybe someone else swims too. I don't know. Or goes to the lake or whatever. So I don't know. Do you see much difference uh, yet in the way that people at different phases of their career open up? Or is that really more just individual?
2: I mean, I see differences based upon where they live, demographics of like, you know, who they are and kind of how they were born uh, the industries that they're in, you know, um, what the average 29 year old is doing in Manhattan versus Manhattan, Kansas, um, can look very different. Right. And I, you know, and I think to your point, just, you know, like I I'll, I'll be on vacation and in, in a bathing suit on Instagram, but not on LinkedIn. Right. And so it's thank you, you for know, some, that, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> you're <laughs> welcome. You. Uh, you're welcome. And sorry to other people that would like that. But um, but, but it's it's um, you know, it's it, it, it you know, c- can be context dependent. But I think part of where HR technology is taking us is very porous boundaries between the workplace. Like what is the workplace? You know, 20 years ago, you had to be on site right? Uh, or maybe you had an RSA VPN token thing on your keychain or a card, right? And, you know, yeah. and that's how, you know, and now, you know, we have on our mobile devices and apps and this and that. And so like work is sort of everywhere. So The idea that like work can permeate out of the walls of the office, but your personal life cannot permeate in doesn't make as much sense. It's sort of like the tides coming in and out. And so that's a big tech change. And to the point, you know, about like, you know, having a beer online or being a swimsuit, I mean, just like any brand, you know, it's the sum total of experiences and impressions, right, that build up someone's total, you know, view of the brand. And each of us as professionals have a brand or a reputation, whether we like one or have built one or not, right? And so, if you know, if I'm always posting with alcohol, it probably looks like I party and drink a lot, right? <laughs> uh, whether that's true or not, right? If I always post vacation, it looks like I'm on vacation all the time. Right. So so, it, you know, I think it's something that we have to and we talk about managing your reputation through technology, even in pilot as well. It's another uh, coaching topic and series that we've we talk about and say, hey, like you know, be mindful of this or, you know, again, to your point, Steve, if you're if you're always the guy that's down to business, right. You may not seem like you invested as much in relationships, which may not be the case at all. Right? You may right. be the most caring guy in the room, but it doesn't quite seem like it or it could have people be a bit uneasy. You know. And so I think it's always you know, not just being self-aware, but also being sort of situationally aware. And so I see you – know, and, and I think it's, it's obviously changing, and people can certainly overshare or bring too much. But I see in general people are bringing far too little – Not too much. Uh, There's certainly the the ER cases and some of that stuff, right? That is the fringe outliers. But in general, you know, oftentimes we have a lot more when you know someone and you know what their life has been or what they're going through. You know, when you know that your boss is getting a divorce, you cut them a little bit more slack. Right. You, you treat them a little bit more like a human with some more compassion, and some more empathy. And so, again, bringing up and sharing more of this, I actually think and you, know, you talk about there's a lot of workplace culture efforts and engagement efforts and all these you know, tools and surveys and happy hours and reward schemes and points. But like, what about bringing a little humanity back to the office, you know, in a person by person, connection by connection basis? That's kind of where we stand from.
0: Yeah. And I think that, Ben, that's a really interesting observation and a great point too. Um, I've, I've been thinking a little bit about this as well, because I think those are the things that ultimately define what's kind of the relevant culture maybe in an organization, right? The, the culture of an organization is kind of defined or communicated or um, encouraged slightly more abstracted from those one-on-one interactions that you're describing, right? Mm-hmm. Um because no organization can kind of manage those or control those. They're just going to happen organically between people, right? Because that's how people uh, yep. interact with each other. Yep. And I think it's really interesting. I don't sure I even know what it all means to think about it a little more deeply, but I do think it's worth thinking about for sure and a little bit more is that those are the things that ultimately make up uh, people's experiences inside an organization. Whether or not they're happy, whether or not they're fulfilled, whether or not they're they're, they're open to coaching, they're open to feedback, they're open to challenging, right? And being challenged, et cetera, et cetera, right? And and those things uh, are so, you know, one-to-one almost level at times that I think we forget that. So I think if nothing else, Trish, in 49 minutes of talking, like I've learned a lot already, but that's one thing I'm certainly taking away from this conversation too is – the thinking more about the importance of, of these kind of interpersonal interactions in the workplace and what they might mean, you know, bigger picture too. Yeah. Yeah,
2: The big, you know, hypothesis we have. So, you know, you think about the future of work and it's much more self-directed and much faster paced and all these things. And it, we can't just from a top down perspective and, and with process and controls and systems, you know, I think we have to sort of inspire, you know, organizations are essentially a network of conversations Leaders have a say in shaping that conversation, but really, you know, if if business problems are mostly people problems, helping people be their best version of themselves and create the best relationships and belonging and lifestyle balance and growth and, you know, sense of connection or accomplishment or curiosity or learning, you name it all of that, I think that's ultimately what's quote unquote, like fixes work, you know, fixing work is, is helping fix people, right? Helping, you know, fix is probably not the right term for people, but helping people, you know, evolve and grow and develop into sort of better versions of themselves. I mean, that's something that they take with them for life. And that's what they remember as sort of a meaningful career. And so, you know, I'm, I'm all for, you know, some top down change and some process and systems. But I really think that this sense of empowering employees from the bottom up to figure out their own stuff, even if you have crappy infrastructure or, or a okay manager or, you know, confusing process or a difficult customer that you from the inside out are the kind of resilient and confident and assertive person who's open and communicative. You figure it out, right? That to me is the sort of company I'd want to invest in, the kind of person I'd want to hire. And that's the kind of, you know, enablement we're trying to build with Pilot.
0: Ben, awesome uh, conversation. Trish, I just want to say something. uh this is why our show's the best show, right? Because we can have this uh-huh. kind of conversation with Ben Brooks, right, for, for an hour about just some really intense, interesting, kind of thoughtful conversations. And yet we'll do like an hour on getting your payroll systems ready for year end, right? Which totally. we did at the at the end of twenty nineteen, which I also thought was a great show. So I that's why I like the show. I'm just saying that, Josh. You've know. got some range,
2: you know. That was my that was my favorite business book I read last year. <laughs> it's called Range. It's all about how generalists will rule the future, yeah. and and uh, and a great great book if you haven't read it or heard it. But you know, but your show has range, and that I think makes I, I, it interesting. Yeah. Because yeah, you don't. I don't know when I listen to episodes, it's like well, what could it be? And it's always you know you guys bring you know thoughtful insight and you're bringing your personal, all this stuff. But then it's also like, it's a variety of topics. I think that's what's what's great about it. And I think that's part of curiosity is sometimes it's not always ordering the same thing on the menu and whether that's content or food. Right. Um, And I think that you're bringing that with the show and I'm glad to be a part of
1: it. Thank you. I think, you know what, I think the thing when I think about the show in general or really any show that I listen to, it's when Steve and I do the show, at least for me, I really want to. I want to learn something, and so I try not to be too prescriptive. I think you know I've been guests on other shows, um, other podcasts, whatever interviews and whatnot. You know, with magazines or so forth over the years. Sometimes when it's so prescriptive, it just keeps you in a box, and you never really break out and have these conversations. So whether we are talking about a payroll deadlines or changes, you know, in compliance or like today's conversation, I mean, feel like if you just let a conversation go where it goes. Not only do Steve and I learn about each other, ourselves, whatever, the guest, we also, hopefully, to me, that's what would resonate with a listener. Yeah, Um, yeah, for sure. I want to learn something. I actually want something tangible I can take away. And I don't think that can always be planned, you know.
0: All right, Ben, we're going to wrap it up. But give us like maybe 90 seconds on kind of 2020 pilot kind of plans. So what are you guys going to be working on? What's your some of your kind of. Goals, initiatives, what have you. What are you looking for or maybe say it this way, what are you looking forward to? What's exciting you? I'll use your question. You threw me. What's exciting okay. you about 2020, you know, in terms of the business?
2: Well, you know, growing it is the number one thing because we have a huge roadmap and all these things we're curious about. And you know, we realize that there's only so much that a frontline manager or supervisor can do to help someone really grow and develop. They're most of their time is consumed with just getting kind of performance done so we're figuring out how can people, you know, really help, you know, be accountable and prioritize and have better work habits. And, you know, we've had people have life changing impact and whether that's in their marriages and in in their health and all these other things in their community, we've had people really take on big things you know they're they're afraid about asking for money at work and they go raise money in the community and then they're a savage when it comes to budget season you know and <laughs> and you know and and we have people that you know you know open up about their families or they or they renegotiate sharing duties with their spouse at home right so they can you know feel you know less anxious at work and know that family things are taken care of and i just want to figure out you know and we're working on you know really how do we really be judicious because no one has much time these days with the attention economy. So we've got limited ten minutes a week, you know, with our with our end users. But how do we really translate that into no one have you know? We want green Mondays, you know, not the blue ones.
0: Um, and how <laughs> right. is
2: it, how is every Monday green Monday, right? And how is and how do we get people again from the inside out, regardless of their title, regardless if they get a promotion, regardless if they go on that trip, regardless if they get a different manager, regardless if they get transferred to a different project or team? That sort of from the inside out that they feel power at work, you know, and they're, and they're proud of themselves. And I think that we're really onto something. And I think for us, it's about growing so we can accelerate, you know, the, our company is, is we're not, we're not high on soft bank money. You know, uh, <laughs> we, 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 we actually, you know, we earn our keep and we're focused on, on being really judicious. And, and I take it very seriously, I Put my life savings and, and prime years of my career into this company. And so I think for me, it's like, if I can have people feel really great at work, what happens is they typically feel really great in many areas of their lives, yeah. and that's the sort of impact that I would be like, okay, this can be you know, my life's work, and that's what we're really you know, continuing to be curious about because we've probably got more to figure out than we've figured out yet right Mm -hmm. we have we have an award-winning awesome product that changed life already but yet i'd say that you know we've climbed one big mountain but we've got many many more to go and i think again the vulnerability for us to even say and share that to say hey we're imperfect and we're learning and and growing i think that's what has me excited for 2020
0: ben well said great way to kind of cap it off the website is pilot.coach that's pilot.coach i encourage you to check it out looks really good by the way i just made sure i had it right and i just took a look at it then snazzy. Good Thank job you. there. We like, like little smears. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. A little
2: green in there, you know. So, you know, I love it. Code. So, uh, uh,
0: right. check it out. Check it out. What Ben and team are doing. I mean, that, not only did they, you know, Ben's one of the top uh, guys in our space, but also they won that Pitch Fest. Man, that was. I was there firsthand to see that Ben. By the way, that was <laughs> fantastic win. That was that was a deep, deep competition, and you guys did yes. great. So, uh, super stuff, Ben. We got to, Trish. We got to have Ben back on the show. This is one of my so far my favorite of 2020. I think Ben. I think you win right now. You're you're the clubhouse leader. Awesome.
2: Well, maybe maybe we do a live coaching thing, you know, with, with all three of us and we I work on our stuff, vulnerable, out loud sort of thing, you know, and we, we, we do that together. I don't know. We could, there's a That'd lot we could do. Yeah.
1: I think if you provide Kleenex for me, that might work. I don't know. Yeah. Hey,
2: giving Kleenex can be a signal that you want someone to stop crying because you can't handle them crying. So sometimes it's about not giving someone Kleenex that really gives them the space to be self-expressed. So I don't know if I can promise Kleenex, but we can ask the right questions and give you space.
1: Okay. I love that you said that because let me just tell you what, my first 10 years in HR, I was known as like the HR director with no Kleenex in my office because people were like, (laughs) I want them to come in and like, you know, feel like they had to to not cry, right? So interesting. I love yeah. that you said
2: that. Absolutely. <laughs> well, thanks awesome. for having me on both of yeah, you, Ben. And, and great, excited, great stuff. Excited to, uh, to do more with you this year in 2020 and uh, for all of us to have the kind of years we want. Let's
0: amen so. to that. Ben Brooks, pilot uh, pilot coaching software. Check them out at pilot.coach. Trish, good stuff. Great way to get t- uh, Blue Monday almost wrapped up. It's getting a little bit later in the day. Hopefully, okay. I'll get through the rest of it, but uh, mm-hmm. thank you. Great stuff.
1: Yeah, it was fun. Great show.
0: All right. Uh, remember to subscribe to the HR Happy Hour Show wherever you get your podcasts. For Ben Brooks, our guest, for Trish McFarland, my name is Steve Bose. Thank you so much for listening to the HR Happy Hour Show. We will see you next time, and bye for now. Thanks for listening to the HR Happy Hour Show, your source for information and conversation on work, the workplace, technology, and more. Learn more and listen to all the show archives at www.hrhappyhour.net.